Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their start in the industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Tengami by Niam Niam. Jennifer, Hello. Who are you? Please introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Jennifer. I'm uh, the co-founder of Nyam Nyam and one of the co-creators uh, of Tengami. And how did you get starting making video games or games generally? Um, I, I went uh, kind of like an, an education route, I guess. So after, um, after school, I went to do a uh, computer science degree. Uh, as kind of like a preparation to be a uh, a programmer in uh, in the games industry, and uh, at the end of my degree, I was uh, very fortunate to get a job with a Japanese developer in Tokyo. Wow! And uh, they are called Acquire, and uh, some people fondly remember them because they did the Tenchu Stealth Assassins series. I loved that game. Yeah, me too. And, I like uh, Tenchu one and two. Kind of. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. Those were amazing back in the day. Amazing. Way ahead of their time. Dig them out, people, if you haven't played them already. I don't think they re-released them or anything. You'd have to find them on eBay or something. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, then kind of like took it from there. So, well, do you speak Japanese then? Um, badly, yes. <laughs> right. But you, so what, how, when you say programmer, I always dig into this because we had mm-hmm. one chap from um, Paradox who – who cut his um, cloth, not actually formal education, but he actually uh, developed uh, the demos on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, that's how he... So is it like um, C and that sort of stuff, or is it assembly, or all, or sort of all the above? In how sort of low... Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I learned, you know, you like learn several programming languages. Right. And, uh, when you've kind of like learned... Learn, you know, if you've learned a couple of languages and also yeah. scripting languages, then it's pretty easy to pick up on other stuff because a lot of the concepts are kind of uh, very similar and it's often just almost about learning kind of like the the grammar or syntax of a language. Right. So it's, they all have, we're executing the same thing, ultimately telling computer to change switches. <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, yes. people tend to forget that. That do you know computers are just a bunch of switches, right? And like, really? Yes, it still are. Just a bunch of switches. Oh, come on, Chris. No, they really just are that. And that's what programming languages does. It just tells us to do on. Then when that's on, do off on that. Yeah. And that's really, really insulting. Uh, but that's ultimately what it boils down to. And I think people forget that and it all goes a bit pear-shaped. Um, so did you start before school? I mean, did you do any little games? Did you use any game creators while you were at school? Or did you, um, like, in, like, when you were really young and that sort of stuff? Or what? How, how did you, why computer science? Why video games? So I never, so, I mean, like, there was this one time when I was really young, when I was still in elementary school, and um, where basically uh, my brother and I uh, asked my father whether we could do a video game together. And uh, back in the day, the uh, kind of like the computer magazines that you could buy, they had 
uh, kind of like source codes for for games. That's right. They would have basic listings and you would type them out. Yes. And it would crash because you'd forgot a semicolon. Yes. You couldn't (laughs) read on there anyway. And And then you'd modify it. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the early, early version of mods. It was amazing. Yeah, and, and that's uh, what we what we try to do with kind of like several things. Okay. And um, but we were very we were incredibly unsuccessful and could right. never get anything to run. <laughs> wow. No, I I, and, I actually did that as well, but I actually managed to get stuff to run. I don't know. I have one of those brains, and I, I actually remember getting a ruler, uh-huh. and just placing it on the code, yeah. and then writing the code out. Checking the code against what was on, on above the ruler. You know, I must have been about ten when I was doing this. Like, because yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I had to make sure that that matched with that. And I remember the best game I played was or made uh, or from the magazine was this weird sub hunt game. It was mm-hmm. amazing. It was like you you scroll across the screen and then you just hunt down these submarines in this three D landscape using basic. It was amazing. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, so that was kind of like my my first failed attempt at video games. Okay. And, uh, did that never leave you then? Did yeah, that... <laughs> I, you... I, 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 it was very disappointing at the time, but I did think you know that it was probably just that the magazine had printed had made a mistake. Yeah, you're probably so, right. So it didn't it didn't discourage me, but um, I basically kind of like took a little bit of a step back of trying to make uh, video games right away. And um, I, when I was a little older, I started um, kind of like playing um, AD&D and uh, basically lots of pen and paper. Uh, yeah, I did, I did that too. I played Paranoia and Traveler and AD&D and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would basically kind of like, you know, try to come up with my own campaigns uh, mm. for AD&D. I would like tearing apart modules. Do you get a module and mm. go, yeah, that's fun. Let's put something else. Oh, they got a giant squid. Nope, we're going to have a three-headed dragon instead. Yeah. It's way more entertaining. Fantastic stuff. So, But you then came back into the what I call flashy, lighty games eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's what leads on to the next question really is that uh, what what do you think is out of your career or generally? What what is the thing you you tend to find you are most drawn to as most drawn to I should say as uh, most drawn to as uh, your biggest influences during your creative endeavours? Is there any one particular group of things, or is it a whole selection of things? What do you what do you? Do yeah, you it's a bit of an enormous question. Basically, I'm asking. I mean, you're a creator, and what's the thing that most influences you? Do you think? Um, I think life experiences. Right. Kind of like, yeah, I think life experiences, kind of places that I've been to, conversations that I had with people. And I'm, I mean, like, uh, like a lot of my influences come from my time in Tokyo, actually. Right, because it was like a like a very influential experience for me living living in Japan in this really kind of like foreign. It is very much a fantastic, amazing foreign country. Uh, it? Yeah. it sounds really racist, but not being that way at all. 
you know, people go, oh, I've been traveling. Really? Where have you gone? And they say mainly either Commonwealth, English, British Commonwealth nations. Yeah. Or, or, or just North America or like Northwest Europe and that sort of stuff. And like, that, that, that's traveling. I grant you that. I'll give you that. But it's not really traveling. <laughs> you haven't gone to some really, really foreign place. You know, you've gone to places where basically Britain is colonized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. point of a gun. <laughs> so, um, actually, someone linked a, a map of the world to me the, today. Well, the great, the whole world, and says countries that England or Great Britain has never invaded is very few. <laughs> yeah, you've, just, you've done, you've done quite well. <laughs> yeah, we did quite well there. It's horrible, it's horrible. Really sorry. We now go around apologising, generally. So, yeah, sorry to the world. We have that <laughs> legacy behind us. So on a very, very dour note. Um, Germany has more to apologize for. So That's true. <laughs> well, that's recent history. So we, don't just, need, we don't need to compete. No, let's just talk about, you know, generally Europeans got a lot to apologize for. But then again, we've done some very good things too. So, it's, you know, it's a, there's a balance there. I yeah. think the Enlightenment was pretty cool. Um, so, anyway, moving on to um, who do you most admire? out there in the video game industry who who do who do it, it could be a company it could be anything it could be a person it could be a dog <laughs> anything um if you don't want to name anyone that's cool because no, okay. some... i mean like i really admired uh like when i when i went to acquire yeah be, because i was a big fan or i'm a big fan of tension stealth assassins and um i do really admire the creator of um the Tenchu series, uh, Takuma Endo. He's the president of Acquire. And, um, but also some of the people that I worked with, like, I mean, people, were, unless I guess they are kind of like Acquire fans, they will not know the names. But uh, for example, Tamohiro uh, Tsuchida, he was one of the, um, the programmers on Tenchu. And um, also um, Toshio Koike, who was the art director on kind of like most of um, Acquire, Acquire's games. And um, I was very fortunate that I was able to work with them and learn from them. And uh, I really, I know that a, that a lot of people nowadays don't like the aesthetic of Japanese video games anymore because they often feel a little bit outdated compared to what's coming out of North America and Europe. But um, I see like a real kind of like beauty and uh, sincerity in Japanese game design, even though it's often flawed, but it seems very human to me. Um, like, for example, after playing um, Acquire Games and then getting to meet the people that made those games, there were like a lot of things um, that I saw in the games that I could also see in the personality of these people. And um, yeah, I, I find this a very beautiful and that's quite rare and something I've noticed about a lot of, of Japanese games because I've played a fair few. I must confess I've played a lot more in my childhood because I didn't really expose them as a kid because you and I know we're both Europeans so we didn't really have that much exposure to them. We both, you know, when I was a kid I, I was, was lots of my favourite game was Elite or Lords of Midnight think, and that sort of yes, stuff because yeah. I, I grew up in the 80s and you know, the, the turn-based RPGs was something I came on to very late, probably not until the mid-90s, which they're, they're, by then they've been around for 10 years. But I was like, what is this? 
why are we taking turns? Can I just hit him? You know, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make any sense. You know, it wasn't until Final Fantasy VII that I managed to get. And in fact, I've, thankfully, I've actually now played a lot of those. But it's not just those. I mean, that's obvious to jump on those. But you're right, the Tenchu games and the um, Onimushi games and Devil May Cry, and they all have this personality to them, unabashed personality to them, and unashamed of it. <laughs> like just to stand by and go, this is what I am. If you don't like it, then yeah. you, know, you could be more obvious, like you know, Shadow of the Colossus and Ico and those games as well. And and of course, you know, recently we have got Dark Souls, which is you know that's, that's reeks very of forward, yeah, yeah, that's just like no way would they come out of Western developer. At least I don't think so, because it's like really you're going to make this punishingly hard. Um, like yeah, you got from software who do like the the who did one of my favourite games of all time is Chrome Hounds, ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous game. You know, if you tried to pitch that to any you know Western publisher, like, go away, just go away. <laughs> uh, but here we've got you know these Armor Core games, and they do you know from just a extraordinary software house, and uh, as they were known, um, uh, but uh, as they were, and it's just so. You're right. And that's why I get a bit agitated when I hear people go, oh, the, the Wii U's dying in the death. And like, have you played anything on it recently? Have you? Have you? And they, and they usually turn around and go, no. So, well, please, just... I usually get agitated by that because, you know, out of the three consoles, the new ones out now is my, is my favourite right now. I get more entertainment from my Wii U than I do get from the other two machines. And I do own all three because of the of job. job. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I own a Wii U too, yeah. And uh, I, I just, you know, Mario 3D World is just amazing. Amazing. So, shush, everyone. No need to fear. It's all right. <laughs> so, and, uh, uh, I, uh, I actually, uh, maybe probably about my influences, like going back kind of like a long, uh, long time ago when I was maybe around 10 or 11. Yeah. I also was kind of like very into the Sierra adventure games they like were fantastic space quest, space quest you know i loved the first police yes. quest i couldn't yes. believe how incredible and complex that game was did you see the kickstarter for the new police quest is there a kickstarter for it i didn't know <laughs> i saw i saw it a couple of months ago i don't know if they made it or not because no, i definitely I thought, tried i wasn't keen on two and mm. then it went into weird i think it, it, it morphed into squat eventually um, because yeah. I wasn't keen on because I like the simplicity and the naivety of of one. It was ridiculous. Pulling some woman over for drink driving is hilarious. <laughs> I, I remember the most like when you had to check the police car. Yeah, you had. Do you to. remember that but the first you, time you wanted right. to drive away? You could. You, and, you, <laughs> and, and that, but that was so silly. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that they made me walk around the police car and check it <laughs> every time. Every time, yeah, it was just so detailed. The level of detail, the point that it was like it was to the point where you'd have to sit behind your computer desk um, on the game and then go, now you must hit at five, okay? And it'd be so, <laughs> it would be so detailed. It was just ridiculous minutia which you. You didn't need. You didn't need at all. But maybe you did because it added to the... Not, I'm not going to say charm because that means it's insulting to the game, but it, it added to the immersion. Yeah. It really felt that you were a policeman and realised that I'd never want to do that for a job ever. <laughs> 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 um, but it did get kind of crazy towards the end of that game. Yeah. 
Sierra Adventure Games. I never got into Space Quest or King's Quest. It was the, the only one I actually played was Bleed's Quest. It was on my Atari ST, and that's the only one I, I was exposed to. I was actually unaware of any others. I thought it was unique. I didn't know that it was a whole series of quest games. I think King's Quest was the first one, wasn't it? I, I don't remember, but I think it must have been, yeah. King's Quest was kind of like modeled on fairy tales. That's right. Uh, Space Quest was a comedy. Yeah, uh, comedy. it was very funny, very funny. And yeah, Larry Leffer is also. Yes, this is shoot Larry, yeah. Yeah, again, mm-hmm. pass me by that one. I think I got the sidetracked with Populous. It was that era, you know. Yes, it yeah. was, yeah. Um, so, speaking of and games, it, of, sorry, yeah. anything else? Yeah, I just want to say, I mean, what was really great about Sierra, I mean, we talk a lot about women in games. And mm. obviously, like, Rebecca yes. Williams is, you know, almost like a, like a pioneer of video games because yeah. she, she co-founded it together with her husband. She did. And uh, she was actually bold enough to put her photo on the, bo- on the box of the games. Yes. So I think she was responsible for the King's Quest series, or she made it. And she did and, stuff. Yeah, yeah, there was always her photo on the box, and I I still have the box, and I remember seeing that when I was a, when I was a young girl, <laughs> looking at the photo, and then I'm thinking, oh, a woman oh, can make video yeah. games after all. Look, this is Roberta, and she's making the King's Quest series. Like, you know, I'm going to make my own game series when I'm in, when I grow up. That's fantastic. Getting some, insp- I mean, you can't underestimate that. You know, you're told as a child that, no, no, you can't do that. Why? Because you're a, insert gender here. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, I could, it applies to both men and women. I, I do believe that. that. No, you can't be in ballet or you can't be a cook. Well, not a cook, but you know what I mean. Certain, yeah, you can't be a kindergarten. You can't be a secretary teacher, or yeah. you can't, no, because you're yeah. male. Yeah. Do that and vice versa. Um, and it's, it's slowly, over time, it's changing, but it's taking a long time, too long but it is taking a long time. And misogyny is something that's a, a symptom of our society. It's something we have to overcome, and I'm sure you've encountered it time and time and time again. Um, but uh, you, you struggle through it, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take these things usually with humour, luckily. Yeah, that's, what I hope. that's one way to do it, uh, but not, not to the point where you go, that's yeah, fine. It's no, 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 absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, not, but, not, not laughing acceptance. It's like, well, I'm going to grip my teeth. No, it's more like laughing because people are so stupid. Yes, at them. That's right, laugh at them. Oh, yeah. But it's not very polite. No, it's not. And it's actually blowing yourself to their level. It's a balancing act. Yes. Uh, and so, you shouldn't uh, really do it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my favorite question. The last question I asked about the developer. Okay. Talk, this is my love because when I, I get the answers to this, I get an inkling about what they're working on next. Okay. It's it's naive of me, but I I, I try anyway. Um, what are you playing right now? Doesn't matter what it is. It could be a tabletop game. Could be anything. What are you doing that isn't revolving around um, the game you're currently working on? Whatever that may be. Um, I'm playing Dota Two actually. <laughs> You're playing Dota 2. Anything else? I mean, I'm just wondering if a MOBA is a game. No, it's not fair. Sorry, MOBA fans. Sorry, that was unfair. No. I, I do. Uh, hang on a minute. I, I'm playing a few things on my iPad. I mean, obviously, okay. looking, uh, been playing Walking Dead. I should get onto that. I've got distracted by Titanfall, but yeah, go on. Hmm. And I also started to play Republic. It's also on the on the iPad. Republic. 
Yeah, Republic, yeah. I, I always try to pronounce this very French. <laughs> Republic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one. But I don't really know if it's... But is it supposed to be a French word? Yeah, they they spelt it in that way. Yeah, okay. But uh, that's the, I've, I've got it because I backed it on Kickstarter, so I can't uh-huh. view it. You yeah. See? That huge problem of game reviewers. A lot of game reviewers refuse to back anything because that prevents them from any being objective. My argument is, well, if you have backed something, then you don't review it. You just, you know, you you can't, you know, that's it. That's easy. You're just like any other regular schmo in, in many regards. But yes, I do have it on my iPhone 5S. Ooh, go me. Uh, and it works very well. It's very nice. Um, very, a very dark story, though. I'm not, I'm not very far in. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, totalitarian regime stuff mm. so yeah um okay Any, anything else apart from I mean, you know, yes dota 2 i mean how, how many thousands of hours have you got on that come on be honest oh i i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe 600 600 oh. have you bought not... any hats no i i don't i i don't believe in buying silly items for your characters so you haven't bought anything no, I no. I'm just a freeloader. Oh, a developer's a free- I don't know what to say to this because you know it's a question I always I always ask myself when I'm playing free to play games. Yeah, and I don't play a lot of them because of this problem. Is how much do I give? I mean, well, uh, like I I would I would pay money for Dota. You know, if they said pay me. Yeah, but, but I don't believe. But I I because I don't care about what the character looks like. I like I don't get excited about hats. No, or, or or top hats even. Yeah, no. yeah. The, the problem I've got is, um, you know, just I'll give you a tenner for it. How about that? Could <laughs> I do that? And you just can't because they say, well, they've got to give more. No, just one off. There's just some money. Just I don't know. Is that enough? I, I've played this for hundred hours. Is that? I don't know. It's just. I don't have, well, there's a game called Path of Exile, which is. Uh, akin to Diablo 3 only it's completely free mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know I don't know and the, there is all of it all the money you pay for them is all aesthetics there's, there's no bonuses of gameplay element all it is is you get a it put they make sure if you're holding a sword it sets it on fire yeah. it doesn't doesn't make it a firing damaged sword it just sets the sword on fire right? why well, you just give us some, you know, gave us some money. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you do encounter players that seem to take great pride that they have kind of like all the the outfits for the characters that they are playing. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't really grab me. You know, there's no motivation in it for me. Not for me Plus, either. It's, <laughs> it's mind-boggling. I mean, I, I feel, I, yeah, I feel bad about it. So do I, yeah, I just walk away going, I should give him But then why why do they make it free, right? It seems to be <laughs> and, and then you sit there going, Oh, I feel bad about it, and then you slap yourself going, It's steam it's it's steam. It's sorry, not steam, bloody hell. It's valve for pity's sake. It's valve. Here's a company that can't count to three. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. On that note <laughs> So so then what game do you think we are making next? Well, maybe it's, you know, Half-Life 2.5, something. I don't know. (laughs) 2.993. Okay. (laughs) Oh, who knows? I think they're too focused on making Steam weird and 
you know, penetrating into everyone's household, whether they like it or not. Um, it's it's their, their stealthy moves of uh, making Steam the de facto game platform as it has become um, on a PC anyway. Actually, on any computer, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're playing at. They should, I don't know why they spent almost 10 years making Half-Life 3, if they have. But, but do you really believe that they are working on it? No. <laughs> no. no I, I don't understand why they've left the story dangling like that, but they did. Mm. And, you know, there's not going to be a Portal 3, I don't think, which is sad because I kind of like Portal 2. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, also like the, the co-op multiplayer was really good. Fantastic. There's one moment in that Portal co-op where you just realise that, I don't want to spoil it for anyone because you haven't done it yet, but there's one moment, I'm sure Jennifer may know this. You've done it, have you finished it? Yes, I have. So there's one moment where you have to do something together, which is very alarming. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is yeah you know what I'm talking about it's just like and what I was doing with a friend of mine like no no uh, he, had, he had to talk me into it going this will end in failure we will, this will end in tears he goes no no this is it you, you, I, I could hear the penny drop in his head when, it, when, he, when he got on to it like no we're not doing this no and we did and we moved on with our lives <laughs> <laughs> so Thank you for sharing with your your your, um, your background and your what you're playing. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Probably gave us no clue to what you're working on now, but at least we you know what you're. In. I mean, unless it's a MOBA, please God no. Sweet uh, <laughs> people. <laughs> well, I've heard stranger things have happened. Um, it could be like I, I have to admit it crossed it crossed my mind. What if, <laughs> what, what if you did it for touch? Basically, like a stripped down and more simple version of. Uh, yeah, plus the game is quite complicated. A bit. It's got. It's not. That's the point. Mobas aren't complicated. They're they're layered. There's a, there's yeah. A to, yeah, but there's a lot to learn. I know, but they 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 give. But it, they don't it, do a very good job at teaching you. No, no, they don't. They, they just they just humiliate you instead. That's how they teach you. Do you, do you play it? I've tried. I can't get. I. I. I'm just. The problem is, I get overwhelmed with information. You know when you buy stuff from the shop. You buy stuff. Well, I've from never the bought stuff from the shop. So. Not not buy things. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. In the game, with mm-hmm. the game currency part of the game, where you upgrading stuff for your your character, because if you don't, he's going to die, or she is going to die. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that just freaks me out. <laughs> Utterly freaks me out. Like. What am I supposed to buy here? Uh, there's a healing potion. I'll get that. Oh, no, I don't want that one. I want that one. What? Well, what's the difference? Well, that... Just, yeah. I just, so, yeah, I just get really freaked out by the crafting system in, in MOBAs. It just freak, freaks me out. I respect it. I know what it is, and that's why I freak out, because I'm making a bad decision here. I've got some fast shoes here. Is that, any, is that any good to me as a character? Oh, no, I'm a tank. That wasn't very wise, was it? <laughs> <laughs> at what point do you go foraging in the in the jungles or not what do you do it early i don't know so i have all these respects for all these t- tactics and under and i understand how to play the game i'm just profoundly bad at it <laughs> but, but everybody is kind of um, bad at it yeah it's just it just frustrates me i'm just so anxious of like, hearing these stories like oh god is a new player get off my server or they just kick you off because you're <laughs> 
And it's just like, yep, that's what online gaming is about. There's no... You you do get a lot of abuse. Yeah, there's no empathy. This is is what the mute button is for. Exactly. It's, It's like, there's no empathy at all. It's just to say, weren't you once like me? Weren't you once starting out trying to play this game? They just don't... People don't really accept that. It's really weird. And that's always the way with hobbies and stuff. You always have the, uh, oh, I don't want to, you know, bother myself with people who are inexperienced. This is fair enough because it's it's all about matching your skill levels with other people. But that's what MOBAs bother me about is uh, the time investment is phenomenal. <laughs> Each match lasts 45 minutes. Yeah, or, no, or 90. Or 90. Depends how well you're doing or not, as the case may be. Um, but my typical match, I mean, I'm still only playing against bots and spell. I'm winning, but it's mm. still, you know, I'm just anxious about going online with it. So eventually I, I might do it, but it's just like, oh, God. It's just the wall of information you're giving. And it's like, have I, have I made the right decision? And I go, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably spent loads of gold on things I shouldn't have. So. Anyway, enough of MOBAs and, and Dotas and other TLAs. Let's move on to the second half where we talk about Tenkami. So, Jennifer, please give us the, as the Americans like to call it, elevated pitch for Tengami. Okay. Tengami is an uh, atmospheric adventure game that takes place inside a Japanese pop-up book. And the way that it works is you are a little paper man character and you explore a very beautiful-looking paper world. And you come across puzzles and obstacles that you solve by manipulating the pop-up book. Think about folding things, uh, sliding stuff away. And basically, you play the game in a very similar way to how you would read a pop-up book. Okay. That's pretty accurate. Well done. Yay. Um, Of course it is. You've been working it for... Uh, almost three and a half years three and a half years that's that's quite that's quite a and my question specifically about the game and it is a beautiful game and it is unlike anything I've ever played yep I can't really the only closest other thing is is it's kind of like a point and click but there is no text well there is but only between scenes but I don't want to spoil it for anyone um what came first? Was it the theme? Was it the pop-up book, or did it all? What? How did it? How did it emerge in your brain? This this idea of creating a pop-up book on, on a on a mobile device. Well, it doesn't have to be mobile. It could be. How did it? How did that happen? Can you tell uh, me. Yeah. 
Phil, um, who is uh, one of the co-creators of Tengami, he uh, really loved pop-up books as a child. Okay, that we all. And I used what? to love them as a kid. I, I, I'm fascinated by little intricacies of the, especially when you had a pop-up book or you pulled it open and you could actually interact with the thing inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean it is very magical, absolutely. Mm. And uh, one day, about three and a half years ago, we uh, started kind of like talking about pop-up books. I think it was sparked by some kind of a movie that we'd seen on YouTube. Um, that, that showed a pop-up book. And uh, as we kind of like kept talking about it, uh, we started asking ourselves, why is uh, nobody using this physical toy book in the context of a, of a digital toy, let's say, you know, like a video game? Okay. What, what, what happens if you take a pop-up book and use that not, not only as a setting, but you know, maybe as the core mechanic of the game, like what kind of video games can you make with, with that kind of idea? Right. And it's basically um, started out as a, as a big experiment. Like what kind of video games can you make that use pop-up as a game mechanic or that take place in a pop-up book? Okay, so you you went through various ideas and concepts and themes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what what kind of themes did you consider? Well, at, fir- at first we were thinking um, a lot more kind of like actiony, like we were looking at a more as as a at a at fast at fast paced games. Okay. Um, kind of like platform pop up platforming. Oh, right. That could work, but that would turn into Paper Mario, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Kirby. Yeah. And it's not bad things, but Sony, um, the Nintendo might... Sony? Nintendo go, um, excuse me. <laughs> Unlikely, though. But go on. But, but the, the uh, further that we explored it, um, it didn't seem to be a very good fit for the pop-up because platforming often introduces kind of like an element of time or speed. And that means that you don't get to enjoy this, uh, you know, this magical feeling when you see the pop-up world unfold. This is interesting, yeah. Now it's all coming together because my next question um, relates to to the the setting, well, the, the pace of the game, mm-hmm. which is really... You know, video games have traditionally been seen as an assault on the senses. Forgive me <laughs> to say that about your previous work, but it generally is, they can be. I mean, um, I can give you many examples. You know what I mean? Like GTA Five. there's there's one. It doesn't stop. It's relentless. It's almost exhausting. Um, yet Tengami is way more tranquil. It's the best word I can come up with. You know, yes. People ask me to describe the game in one word, and I say tranquil. Um, did you set out to make it that way? Was it always your intention to dial everything back and go, can we just enjoy this for what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we always wanted to make something that is very serene or tranquil, as you say, and something that kind of like invites, I guess, introspection and, uh, and thought, because um, 
I mean, you, you said it yourself in the introduction, like a lot of video games nowadays, um, they basically work off exciting the player. Yeah. So, so you are put in kind of like a constant state of excitement. Um, plus with it. Yes. Plus a time pressure. So basically while you're playing it, you have no brain capacity for kind of like any kind of other thoughts or, or even emotions. Like you're you're very you're very led and pressured by the game. Absolutely. Although, in defense of some titles, they try to change it up a bit, where they give you pause to allow you to suck in and drink in and what you're looking at. Mm. Let me give an example. Um, let's go back to GTA Five, if I may. That's got some amazing scenes. I don't know how they managed to squeeze all that into the 360, but they did. And, you know, to, to have the sweeping, you know, um, vistas and similar to uh, the Assassin's Creed games. They are visually very impressive. And indeed, the game mechanic encourages you to climb to the top of a tower to look across the scene. <laughs> and it just, but they're not, they're few and far between. You're absolutely right. Most of the time, in those two games especially, they do are pressing you to drive on and explode thing, more things up or destroy more things. <laughs> I mean, like the, the, these, these games, because they are also exploration-based games, so in Assassin's Creed, like you don't have to do any of the storyline. You can just run around and explore and do, do what you want. You can. But what you see, I think especially in, in obviously first-person shooters, because they are very linear and you're basically pushed down the path to the end. Yep. And uh, ideally, the game doesn't, you know, give you give you even time to suspect that maybe this game, you know, what you're doing is all a bit silly. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I I like first person shooters. Like I don't I don't I don't I don't want people to think that I don't like these games. It's just something that I've noticed. And um, for me, then I I asked myself the question. What what happens if you do the exact opposite? If you make a game that is very kind of like quiet and subtle, will 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 people accept that? Like you know, will, will they go through the game not thinking about the goal of the game, but basically just being in the moment? You know, just being in the moment. I know of and... of the game rather than thinking about okay. Yep. I have thirty. I have thirty seconds to detonate the bomb. Or, <laughs> oh my god! You know, I can yeah. see the timer in fifteen seconds. Uh, aliens are gonna drop, and you know, I, I need to. I need to reload my gun and get ready the very, for the next um, massacre. The very and, pinnacle of that would be Street Fighter Four, and actually trying to count the animations of the hitbox before you do your counter punch. Yeah, mm. that's 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 like in realms of. You know, okay, fine. You're not even looking at the screen now. You're just looking at the code. <laughs> but yeah, but Tsingami just just like gets the dial and go. Can we just turn this off? Can we yeah. just stop the noise, please? Can we just turn it all down and just drink it in for what it is? And and uh, you know, would that have kind of like a relaxing effect on players? Yes. And uh, some articles or reviews that I read basically said. That they that they would consider it as a relaxation game. 
Yeah. Um, so it, it does it does seem to work on some people. Um, yeah. I I do um genuinely believe that this game is a like I mean, we talked about this before we started recording, but um which I know it's annoying to hear on a podcast, but we were talking about things before we started recording and one of the things I said about Ten is it felt like a poem. Sounds very pretentious, but that's generally what I believe. It sounds like a feels like a series of three or four phrases that are linked together to form a whole. And that's what I felt walking away, finishing the game. That um that same kind of feeling I wrote uh, you know, reading a thought provoking and uh, profound poem. That's what I found from this game. Um and that's what I think people should be approaching it. Like Proteus. Um, I don't like compare your game to anything else, or, or, or it's, you know, we'll talk about that as well. Trying to pigeonhole any game is wrong, but I do think it's the same kind of place. Although, although um, there is a game here, of course, it is a game, uh, and that there are puzzles to be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, the game very much takes cues from games we were talking about earlier, which is Police Quest and that sort of thing, and that. It's a point-and-click adventure, isn't it, Mm -hmm. in a manner of speaking? So there's been a big renaissance of those recently. We've got Broken Age from Double Fine, of course, but many others as well. Um, Primordia is one I I played uh, about a year ago now. Love that game. Um, And why do you think there's a resurgence of those, personally? Well, I think, for one, like the genre has been dead, uh, for quite a long time because it doesn't really suit uh, itself to uh, consoles or controller gaming. No, it doesn't. You're right. And basically when the I think the PlayStation 1 came along, um, other genres uh, basically kind of like totally took the attention away from it. And I believe that with the touch with the touch screens, especially with the tablets, um there was again a market to do that sort of game because point and click uh, just works uh, perfectly on, on touch devices. And of course the, the rise of PCs and not so much the, the independent sort of small developers that didn't have to go yeah. to publishers to get their work out could then publish via Steam or other outlets like good old games or whoever. Um, and that created low-risk environments, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, then, and, then... and it's a it's a popular genre, and uh, I think also kind of like a lot of uh, non-core gamers really like it. You know, like more casual gamers or people yeah. that maybe don't don't even consider themselves to be gamers at all. Yeah, because it is a very kind of like ex- an, a very accessible genre. Yeah, it's it's like choosing adventure books. They're coming back as yes. well. Yeah, I know Tim Man Games. Um, he does. Um, well, that he they do yeah. um, the game book adventures. I love those, you know, on on the and of course, um, uh, Inkle did uh, sorcery. Yes, uh, on, Jackson sorcery. Yeah, fantastic. I've interviewed them twice now. Uh, yeah, we are, we are, we are good friends with them. So yeah. they are love. They are lovely. Yeah, they are very. They're, 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 what they've made out of that game, of that book, game book book game, uh, is is an extraordinary thing. Because I remember in the eighties playing that game, and here oh, they've reinvented it and introduced it to a brand new audience, and very successfully as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I recommend yeah. everybody who who used to like these kind of like choose your own adventure books to to give it a go. 
I just get sorcery, I yeah. get complete. Yeah, sorcery is a fantastic one because it's not a choose your own adventure game at all. Don't not think that it's inspired by, but the actual game itself is not really like that at all. It's something way more than that. But I've already, you know, listen to my old. I think it's episode two. Check that out, and you can hear me chat to the developers about that there. But um, one point I want to ask um, about Gengarmi um, is really the puzzles in the game. Which leads me on to they can be quite tricky. How did you get over playtesting? What did you do with that? I mean, how did the puzzles? How did you set about making those, designing those? Was it the first time you ever done something like that? Yeah, the other games that I worked on didn't have puzzles. Um, right. So what we tried to do is initially was that we tried to kind of like find puzzles that would uh, fit around the the pop-up mechanic. Right. Folding as a game mechanic. Okay. And um, But the thing is, like, the more that we experimented with it, we felt like that the pop-up itself, the folding itself was actually not sufficient to carry a lot of puzzles. Right. And this is um, because it is, um, it's, it's like, it's very easy to create a pop-up or a folding structure that is very abstract. Mm-hmm. And um, with the very abstract ones, like you can make um, more interesting puzzles, but because they are so abstract, like it doesn't really mean anything to anybody. <laughs> Because you're just looking basically at these very weird folding shapes. Yeah. But we, but we wanted to basically have, um, you know, pop-ups that look like something like, for example, a lighthouse or a Japanese shrine. And um, that are really kind of like uh, accessible to people. And um, it, it becomes then very difficult because everything in the game is constructed as a real pop-up. And it folds authentically, and you could rebuild it, you know, like with paper, scissors, and glue. If you, if she basically knew how to make pop-ups, and because this authenticity was very important to us, um, it was very difficult to um, to come up with a kind of like what people sometimes call genius puzzles, and it's basically more trying to be, I guess, delightful puzzles. Okay. Uh, right. That, you know, kind of like uh, something that gives you a satisfaction from kind of like manipulating the pop-ups. Yeah, there was rather, this... rather than it being very complicated, what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about uh, Roberta Williams, isn't it? From uh, yes, her name. She she uh, famous for the Gabriel Knight game, which is attributed. To the death. Oh, that was Jane. Is it Jane Jensen? Oh, that was Jane Jensen. Sorry, apologise, but uh, mm-hmm. that game, that particular game, was attributed to the death of Point and Click because there's one particular puzzle that was so ridiculous and With so obscure. <laughs> yes, yeah. you couldn't solve it. No sane human being could solve it, yeah. and it was like, okay, we're done now. No, like, you know, like we we didn't want we. I mean, so the 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 problem with that genre is that it's even with all the best intentions that it's very easy to do something that becomes complicated in the end. It's for the sake of complication. Yeah, that becomes basically obscure. Yeah. Um, so with Tengami, I mean, we did do a lot of playtesting on the on the first chapter in the forest. We showed that, I mean, we had uh, at least 500 people play that. 
And then the ocean chapter was probably also played by maybe also, I think, about 500 people. Right. So they they were um, they were both played by a lot of people, and we um, we were very we knew what worked in them and what didn't, and did several improvements on them. And then the the second chapter, which is the mountain, is something that we only tested on a few people, which are basically our friends. Okay. And I think that that there's basically one puzzle in there where we made a where we made mistakes <laughs> and it turned out to be a really bad uh, puzzle. Right. And we are actually going to change that in the okay. next update. That's interesting. We'll, we'll chat about it after the show because, yeah. uh, you know, it's not fair because it's, it's spoilers, but um, okay. And it, this is, yeah, it's um, because often, I mean, we said that Tengami is a game, you know, we're trying to do everything without text, kind of like through visual and um, audio communication, but also obviously gameplay as communication. Yeah. And you do need to do like a lot of testing on it or you end up uh, really, you know, being in danger of doing something that becomes, it, it's only, you know, like one tiny decision, one, you know, one tiny mistake that you make and the puzzle becomes totally confusing for players. I know. Um, can't underestimate that. The creator thinking, oh, come on, it's obvious. To you yeah. it is. Or uh, even if you think, oh, come on, you know, we tested this on 10 people and these 10 people could do it. Yeah. But then it's like you really need like a lot of a lot of no, eyes. On if these if they're friends, especially, there's a reason they're friends <laughs> because yeah. they're like-minded, you know, individuals. They're like, damn yeah. it, you know. I mean, it's difficult to do it relatives because relatives like, well, they're not going to question what you've done, are they? Because uh, you know, it's, they're your relatives. Uh, you know, everything you do is amazing, and uh, so yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's just one of those things. Our intention with Segami was never for it to be like a difficult game. Like we want, we were always trying to make challenging puzzles. It's challenging, but it's but not, not difficult. But no. not difficult or frustrating. You like, don't want as people... I said earlier, we want it to be a, a, a relaxation game almost, right? So you don't want frustration. No, you don't but... want people hurling their iPhones against the wall. No. But unfortunately, I'm not perfect, so... You you do make mistakes, but then oh, yeah, yeah. you know with something like the App Store, the great thing is that you can update very quickly. You can like you fix can, and you update can, things. Yeah, you you can fix uh, you can fix these mistakes. Uh, yeah. Keep uh, keep keep improving and refining the game based on the feedback that you get. Yeah, because thirty years ago that didn't exist. Once the game was out, that was it. Mm. Imagine that <laughs> <laughs> you could not fix it after release. Wow. <laughs> Couldn't. I remember that. Games would come out like, is it bugged? Yep. Oh, well. Not what we can do about it. There was no patching. Didn't exist. Didn't exist. It was on a tape. We put it on a tape, recorded, pressed play, and off it went. Anyway, I do remember the first time a console game crashed on me and I freaked out. Like, Yeah? Which game was that? It was Wipeout on the PS1. Oh, okay. It crashed. I, know, I never had a crash on the PS1. No, no, it wasn't overheating or anything. It just genuinely just crashed. Like, mm. How could you crash? You're a console. You know, that, that you think, you can't crash. You're a console game. You're a set piece of hardware. Don't change. It's always the same. How can you crash? <laughs> but, you know, over time, that doesn't matter. Least of all now. Least of all now. So, I think we'll sign off now. 
find out a little bit more. So I've written some notes here about where, where you can get Tangami, but do yell at me if I get this wrong. Um, is it on iOS 6 devices? Seven. Seven. So it only works on iOS 7, so I'm absolutely sure. Do we know? Yes, only iOS 7. Okay. Uh, and it will be on the Wii U eventually? Yes. Okay, I've got February here, but it's February's rapidly running out. So July. July now. No. Or June, I don't know. Don't don't say the date. Oh, okay. Um, so, and uh, Windows and Mac? Is that yes. right? Sometime later on this year as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. And that'll be on uh, on uh, Steam, etc. I assume. If we get green, let If yeah. we get, well, if they're still doing it then, because they're shutting that down, aren't they? Um. <laughs> yeah, this this was my strategy to basically wait until this whole green light has died. Yeah, because they are, they said, oh, this doesn't work, is it? No! <laughs> Jennifer, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, I can't stress out enough how, how appreciative I am of you sharing your thoughts on this extraordinary game. And I have to congratulate you and the rest of your team for making something so wonderful. Well done. Oh, thank you very much, Chris. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!